Uh, greetings, greetings, everyone. Thank you for joining Project Reviews Q. Going to get some work done today. Uh, sorry for such a long intro. Uh, just really, really want to get everybody stepped up and excited when we do these shows. Um, we have a special guest here today to, to uh, uh, more or less proof uh, the advances we're, we're moving through with uh, many, many individuals promoting uh, projecting their projects. Um, Asha, do you mind introducing our guest here today? Welcome, a loving welcome to everybody. Thank you for joining us here. Before we introduce the guest, just shortly, Christopher, our grand crew, has sent an email. There's a lovely listener from a couple of weeks ago, QE, who wrote in to ask us to read her correction on the air. So she had asked a question and given us some information a couple of weeks ago, and she writes, I accidentally said the waiting period for the frequency machine was 11 years instead of 11 months. And she felt the need to correct it because some people are transcribing this, and she wanted to give them a chance to correct the transcription as well. So very, very kind of you, Q. Thank you. And now we have very, very exciting guest, Neil Benson, a spectacular doctor out of Western Australia. He's retired, and he really loved to help people overcome allergies and inflammation challenges, very, very important aspects of our life here. He was uh, practicing for 30-plus years, and I would call him a great healing warrior for the people. Thank you so much for being here, Neil. Take it away. I, thank you very much for being here. welcome. So this is the real frequency machine here. Neil, you're the real frequency machine. That's what I got out of that. <laughs> okay. Um, well, that's good. Hopefully it's the right right tone. <laughs> um, yeah, I really wanted you I really wanted you on because um uh the, the comprehensive um the, the, the commu- your communication skills are so uh, are so easily easily digested by uh, your peers in your professional world, uh, but their your communication skills are so strong, and your passion is so strong for the topic you're going to discuss. Um, I, I just I just couldn't help myself. I just got to get you on, and and I just love what you want to do further in your life. And so, please, however you'd like to start, communicate with us. This is Project Review with Q, an example of a project that is going to get advanced, and I can't wait to give you more resources and 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 absolutely win in your sales. Well, that's wonderful to hear. Thank you very much. Um, to answer the most important question, Q, that you've put forward to me, the reason I don't speak um, with the proper Australian uh, twist to my accent is because... Um, I have only lived here in Australia for 12 years now. Uh, prior to that, I lived in New Zealand. And before that, I lived in Canada. So the first 27 years of my life were in Canada, then 27 years in New Zealand, and the last uh, 12 or so years here in Australia. And you have to be musical like you, Q, and I'm not musical. And uh, if you're musical, you lose your accent. But if you're like me, unfortunately, you tend to keep it. I want to go back to Canada. They know how to <laughs> Well, the Canucks are going to win one day, I'm going to tell you. Canucks are going to win one day. <laughs> oh, that's right, one day. Um, anyway, what I, the area that I'm passionate about is allergies and autoimmune 
problems. Now, since the turn of the century, the number of people suffering from allergies has gone from less than 1% or approximately 1% to at least 50% of the population. Most of the listeners out there probably suffer from allergies. Now, if it was just genetic, it wouldn't be increasing the percentage. It would stay the same. And uh, the fact that it hasn't stayed the same indicates that something is causing it. And my life's journey was to discover uh, how allergies uh, are caused and just as important, how you can get rid of the allergies if you do the right things. And nobody makes money out of this uh, other than uh, the practitioner a little bit, um, depending on how much they want to gouge their their patients. I never did, did that very much. Um, and uh, it's you cannot change people if they don't want to change. That's the other thing. Uh, but most people with allergies, it's quite a nuisance having uh, the, the problems. And allergies can affect any part of the body. Just to go through that, I'm going to start with that so that people can do the self-assessment. Have I got allergies? Well, the, the classic ones are asthma, eczema, stuffy nose, uh, hay fever type symptoms. But it goes much, much deeper than that. Um, it can cause um muscle aches, joint aches, uh, uh, heartburn, uh, constipation, diarrhea. Those are the internal sort of things. Then you've got migraine headaches that uh, can cause ringing in your ears, can cause um, just the list goes on and on. Depression, anxiety. Um, it's It's quite incredible. I didn't believe that when I started out. And uh, I grew to learn that some of the symptoms I've had myself, others I've uh, seen in many of my patients. So uh, we've got this increase of allergies and problems in society. And uh, I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. Um, it's caused by parasitic infections. Uh, the parasitic infections typically in the gut lead to uh, your body's immune system fighting against them. And in the process, the body accidentally uh, develops antibodies to things that are not dangerous, like house dust mite, grass, um, and foods. Why, why would you have an allergy to a food? Does that make any sense? No, it doesn't. And it's because your immune system has been triggered and you accidentally developed uh, an antibody uh, to something that is non-dangerous, which is what the definition of allergy is. It also uh, leads into the area of autoimmune diseases. And autoimmune diseases, uh, things like thyroid problems or diabetes, uh, can also be, be prevented. Um, once it's gone too far, unfortunately, it uh, I don't think that you can turn it around, but prior to it, destroying all of the cells of either your thyroid or your your um, uh, pancreas, you can turn the process around. And I have done that with some patients, and it was very satisfying. Um, both of those disorders and others like rheumatoid arthritis, uh, you can calm the whole thing down and cure it. And I know that flies in the face of mainstream medicine and uh, but it's it's also fact. So in those disorders, it's a process of what we call molecular mimicry. And I'll explain a bit more about that in a minute. But basically, your body forms an antibody 
that uh, cross reacts with your own tissues. And that depends partly on your genetics. And uh, when you produce the antibodies, it, it then antibodies, if I don't know if you know too much about that, but basically they look a bit like a, um, an arrow with two heads on it. And on the end of the heads of these arrows, it's got a, an area called a variable um, region. And that variable region can change uh, depending on what your body pro, uh, programs it to look like or creates it to look like. And that uh, variable region can sometimes look like your own tissues. Um, say you're making it against a, a, a parasite uh, and it cross-reacts with your own tissues, then as long as you're fighting the parasite, you're creating these antibodies that will fight your own tissue. And in the process, you can burn out your own tissue. And that process is called molecular mimicry. And um, obviously, that's not beneficial to us. Uh, uh, so if you can catch it early enough, our body has the capacity to stop damaging. Well, if you get rid of the parasite, you will no longer produce the antibodies and you will stop damaging your own tissues. And the body has a remarkable capacity. It has the capacity to repair. And we have what are called stem cells that are constantly floating around our body. And these stem cells can go into that tissue, be it thyroid or uh, our joints and arthritis or uh, in diabetes, if you catch it early enough. And it will reconstitute that organ, which is really kind of really cool. So... Um, uh, so how did I get into this area? Well, that's a, that's a good question. And why am I, why is it that what I'm saying is in direct opposition to what your doctor says? Um, well, uh, it comes down to the fact that uh, mainstream medicine, at least the educational component of it is, is controlled. I think most people are aware of that now. And uh, it is makes no sense to cure something if you can treat the symptoms because treating the symptoms means you've got the problem forever and you're going to um, make money forever from it. And I think it, it was said very nicely by a CEO of a drug company that I spoke to many years ago. And I'm just going to read you what he said. Then it's not coming from me. It's coming from the industry. I, to give you the background, when I discovered how allergies worked in 1994, so we're going back a little bit now, almost, what is that, almost 30 years. Wow, amazing. Um, I flew myself um, up to a city in New Zealand called Auckland, and I met with some of the pharmaceutical people there, at my expense, by the way. And under a, a privacy agreement, I met with the head of their marketing, the head of their um, uh, science part and the CEO and we had a discussion about how allergies work and um, I explained it to them and they could see their eyes widening and uh, at the end of that I waited and got a letter back within a week and the letter goes dear Neil I've now had the opportunity of discussing your project or proposal in depth with the two people 
and need to report as follows. Without being too cynical, I think you are aware that the pharmaceutical industry and our two main client groups, i.e. the conventional medical practitioner and the retail pharmacist, are basically not interested in cure of illness or disease. In a free enterprise situation, all parties are basically interested in repeat business and the return and the protection of investment, whether it is to their own uh, personal interest or in the case of the industry, to the shareholder. So there you go. That's from the from the horse's mouth. Um, and, and it is sad. And I, I, I would even go further than that and say that the alternative system isn't really much better. Uh, they, too, are interested in selling the vitamins and potions. They're not interested in, in cure, but it can be cured. And um, we'll go more into that. If you're interested to find out uh, some of the details of how it works, uh, you can find that online. There's a, a book I wrote on the subject. Um, I'm not plugging the book particularly, but it's called On the Origin of Diseases. Um, and it goes into the mechanism behind how it all works um, and how you can, uh, with the aid of your doctor, um, turn it around and what i would like to do is make it so that there are an awful lot more practitioners who take this view of curing illness and disease and who we think up a a payment method of some sort so that they can uh, do it without being uh, penalized for for myself i never had any problem ever getting patients i was always busy Uh, so i I was lucky that way and uh, it allowed me to uh, take a, a an approach where uh, I was happy to cure people and patients were happy to come and see me and be cured. So if you take that, I think that you will always be busy as a practitioner if you're looking after your patient's best interests. Anyway, for me, it's been an uh, absolutely wonderful journey. And uh, just to give you a bit of my background, I had a, I've always uh, been interested in how things work. And I had a science degree in botany. Then I had a agriculture degree in uh, plant pathology. And it seems kind of strange, plant pathology. Why would that be relevant? But it turned out to be very relevant because when you're dealing with plants, the major uh, organisms that attack them uh, are fungal. So I, I dealt a lot with how funguses work. And then I did a, had a PhD, well, I had funding for a PhD and I was working and did one year of a PhD program um, in plant ecology before I went into medicine. So I come, came from a very systematized and a very strong science background. Uh, and that allowed me to look at medicine differently from most doctors. And often the innovators in medicine uh, come from other uh, multidisciplinary uh, programs, and uh, I'm an example of that. So, if if you are going to treat people who have allergies, there are three things that must be addressed at the same time. The first thing that must be addressed is good diet, and. Uh, I'm pleased to be able to tell you that good diet is basically the same thing for all people. You want to have your main meal of the day, 
So if you took your plate in front of you, you want it to be half green vegetables. You want it to be a quarter protein and up to a quarter carbohydrate in which you would have uh, orange vegetables in there, carrot, sweet potato, or pumpkin, something like that. And the last quarter can be smaller than that, but it shouldn't be bigger than a quarter. So the carbohydrates have to be less than that. Now, why is this important? So let's go from that. I've told you now you need green vegetables. Now let's go into why you need green vegetables. If you, sorry, I'll just turn this off. Um, turn it down. There. Um, the point behind that is understanding how the gut works. Sure, we uh, eat food in our mouth and we break the food down into little pieces and that gets swallowed down our esophagus and goes and sits in our stomach and the stomach expands and fills up with the food. And then at our leisure, we process that food that's in our stomach by moving it along to what's called the small intestine. And the small intestine is not small. It's about seven meters long. And it um, is quite narrow in circumference. If you have ever made sausages, you know the casing that you get. Well, that comes from a, a pork's small intestine. And basically, it's the size of a sausage. And it, it um, extends for seven meters. And it has a huge surface area on it. Uh, the surface area is actually about 400 square meters in size, which is enormous because of all the twists and turns that are in it. And then we go from the small intestine to the large intestine. And this, I should say that the small intestine uh, has all the, dig the digestive enzymes in it so that pretty much everything that enters the small intestine gets broken down into tiny pieces. And uh, those tiny pieces, if there are nutrients and uh, foods get broken down and absorbed as carbohydrates or proteins, the amino acids, uh, and the fats, uh, which allow us to grow and um, keep our body in good shape. So it's important that you eat a variety of foods so that you get the right ingredients. Now, those uh, the food remnants from the small intestine after they've had all of the nutrients taken out of them and gone down that seven meters of length, we end up with kind of a liquidy um, material, kind of like what you get when you have a, have diarrhea. Uh, and that gets into what we call the join between the large bowel and the small bowel. And it's called the large bowel, not because of the length, but because of the width, it's much wider than the small bowel. And the large bowel is only one meter instead of seven meters, uh, but it, it's wider. And that holds the bacteria, the beneficial bacteria that we have in our gut. And that's what we're feeding when we eat green vegetables, because green vegetables contain an ingredient called fiber. And fiber, by definition, is something that we can't break down. So it's already come through all our small intestine and it comes to the large intestine and that fiber is of two types soluble and insoluble and the one that we're interested in is the soluble fiber uh, insoluble fiber is things like uh, the outside of corn and it's insoluble because we can't break it down and if you would eat grass the grass would have fiber in it too and that's not a it's a type that we can't use and it would go straight through your bowel 
and you'd end up pooing that out. You've probably noticed that when, when you eat corn sometimes that you can have uh, the corn in the uh, poo. And that's because we can't break down that material. Uh, we can break down the stuff that's inside of it, but not the outer coating. So that's insoluble fiber. And that doesn't do much except allow the bowel to push against it and move things through. But it's the insoluble fiber that's really important. And uh, you find that in the green vegetables predominantly. And insoluble fiber feeds the beneficial gut bacteria. So when you're eating your green vegetables, you're feeding the good bugs and the good bacteria do a variety of benefits for us. They produce vitamins for us. They produce natural antibiotics that flow around us that keep us healthy. And uh, they um, do a function of turning that liquid poo into a formed poo. And a normal healthy bowel is one poo a day formed like a sausage. If you're having lots of poos a day, it means there's something wrong. If you're not having one poo a day and you're constipated, it means there's something wrong too. It means things aren't quite healthy inside of you. And that can be because you've got the wrong gut flora, but it can also be because you've got allergies that are interfering with the movement uh, through the bowel. The diarrhea is kind of easy to explain because if you've got something that you're body doesn't like it'll detect that thing there and if it's up high in the bowel you tend to throw it up won't you or you'll get heartburn from it and if it's low down it'll tend to run it through and you get loose poos that uh, uh, form and that's what your body does when you get a bug like that it doesn't like living in there like salmonella or shigella or one of these gut bugs that you can pick up the body is trying to get rid of the bug so it's trying to flush it out and that's why you get the diarrhea. So taking things that plug you up to prevent you pooing it out is actually not a good idea. You really want to poo it out because um, that's what your body's trying to tell you. And it's trying to do is clear it out. Now, at that join between the small bowel and the large bowel, so it's food has come out of the stomach, which is storage. It then shoved it into the small bowel where the nutrients were, where the food was broken down into the nutrients. We absorb those nutrients out and you take them into your body. And then the remnants, which includes lots of the, um, well, hopefully lots because you've been eating your green vegetables of the soluble fiber, uh, comes to the join with the large bowel and the small bowel. At that site of the large bowel and the small bowel, we have a really neat organ called um, the appendix. And the appendix you've probably all heard about over the years, and they've said it's not necessary to your health and survival. Well, you can survive without it, but it actually has a beneficial role. The appendix is about the size of your little finger, and it sits right there at the junction between the large and the small bowel. So it, uh, uh, and it's filled with bacteria. And it acts to seed the, the the fluids that are coming from the small bowel into the large bowel. It uh, allows the uh, food that is largely sterile coming from the small bowel, because we don't want competition there, do we? If we're absorbing our nutrients, we don't want to have bacteria and other things living there. Um, but in the large bowel, we do want the bacteria there. So the appendix is ideally located to uh, re seed the bacteria into these um, uh, these fluids that have really got very little in the way of bacteria in it. And 
by eating the green vegetables, you feed the good bacteria. If you don't eat the greens, you're going to have a substandard bowel and you're at higher risk of getting other infections. So that's basically how it works. So you want your bowels to move once a day and be formed like a sausage. If it isn't doing that, you've got allergies or uh, poor gut flora in some way. Taking probiotics can help, but um, that's only part of the story. You've probably heard the terms probiotics and prebiotics. Well, probiotics means that you're taking uh, some bacteria that are encapsulated usually and uh, yogurt would be one of the varieties of probiotics. And you've got other things like kimchi and sauerkraut, uh, which are filled with beneficial bacteria. Um, most of them get killed in the process of going uh, through our small bowel, but some of them get through into the large bowel. And when you eat things like sauerkraut, you're reconstituting some of the good bacteria in our bowel. There are people that have done all sorts of experiments uh, at changing the, the gut with diet. And yes, you can. You can make a, a big improvement and change what lives there just depending on what, you've eating, what you're eating. Um, I think it's a good idea for uh, people to eat uh, foods that uh, have good bacteria in it, and I would recommend it. Eat a variety of them because our bowel has at least 400 different species of bacteria in it. Uh, and uh, the uh, variety of different bugs is more beneficial uh, than one strain. Uh, with regard to where do the major problems occur um, with parasites, it can occur in either the small bowel or the large bowel. And I'm going to talk now just for a minute about the uh, association those of you that are, are medical people will know that IgE is the allergic antibody. And IgE, you will also find it in parasitic infections. Typically, if a person has worms uh, and you do a blood test, in many people, you'll notice that the IgE has gone up. And so the IgE can be used as a little bit of a measure of do you have parasites or not, but it's not always accurate as I... Uh, can tell you, um, but it sometimes will show whether you've got a, a nematode type of parasite. Um, so the IgE goes up and it's telling you that you've got a parasite and uh, it just so happens that the parasite in that circumstance is there and then your body's IgE level goes up. Now when that IgE level goes up and it's helping you fight the parasite, that's all well and good. Uh, but what happens if your body is fighting the parasite and in the process, it's looking around to find other proteins to uh, help kill off the nematode or the, the parasite, and it um, becomes, uh, picks up house dust mites, grass, or maybe foods then you uh, are forming antibodies to those things as well, and you end up with a, an allergy. So it's simple. The parasite came before your allergies. Get rid of the parasite and give it time. The allergies will go down uh, over time. But you've got to make sure you get rid of the parasite and you'll lose the allergy over time. 
Do you have any questions, Q? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Clearly, uh, I have uh, hours of questions for you. Um, Brilliant, as I I know you to be. I apologize. I I thought you were on Eastern Australian time, not Western, so I forgive you for the early hours. Uh, (laughs) Excuse me, forgive me. Not at all. Happy to to help out. the reason I'm so excited about you is I have a tremendous amount of uh, healing centers coming at me, tremendous amount of uh, communities. That you, you've listened to a few of them, I assume, when you were on our, our sandbox calls. And so it appears to me that you want to help standardize a way to solve a lot of these solutions. Is that a fair statement? That is absolutely a fair statement. Uh, mm-hmm. So when you've gone through the process and you've learned what works and what doesn't, uh, you know, in in my 35 years um, and tons of clinical experience, why not share it with the world? I mean, why does everybody have to go through it and relearn it? I mean, I don't I'm not saying I know everything. I don't. But I understand the mechanism behind how it works. I have um, then gone about applying uh, treatments to people to turn the process around and have succeeded and have had great success with that. Uh, there's, uh, so why not share that and let people be trained up in how it works so that they don't have to relearn all the, the systems and waste the time of patients and uh, they're, they can learn and be up and running and successful right off the bat. Yeah, and and so that's what I recognized instantly with you is we have an opportunity here to um, really uh, make a template for um, humanity where we can make a thousand thousand meals, right? That that would that would be optimal, wouldn't it? Exactly right. Yes. Yeah, I've gone through better looking and younger than. <laughs> All right, easy now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I got it. Find you very beautiful. Okay, so the the um, the uh, you know reading through your material and I, I went deep into the diabetic industry personally and professionally uh, and understood that that was a lot of misinformation and uh, having firsthand um, relationships with people who are diagnosed with um, autoimmune disorders fibromyalgia or otherwise, I realized that was all garbage. And and so I, I want to go to your first statement uh, around the model that and or the, the understanding you've re- realized is the mo- molecular mimicry is a powerful, powerful piece of information. Could you could you dig a little deeper into how molecular mimicry works? Sure. Well, the basic molecular mimicry, you could talk about the thyroid as an example of that. But if you're talking about diabetes, it's a little bit more complicated. And that involves milk protein. And uh, so why don't we start out with just the, the thyroid? So we, in the process of our trying to fight the parasite, and the biggest one in the Western world is candida albicans or thrush. It's a huge issue. Um, I think about 
over half of the people in society are colonized with it to a pathologic degree, and um, it's causing them problems whether they know it or not. Um, and so what happens is you get this infection, typically candida, uh, it can be other worms, but that's most common. And so your body is trying to fight the candida. And in the process, it's, and it's not winning the fight because candida is very clever the way it works. And it's, it's really hard to dislodge it once it's there. So the candida is slowly just invading the wall of the gut. It doesn't kill us, but it invades the wall of the gut. And it, it, being a parasite, it's taking nutrition out of us. And our body detects that it's there and it is trying to kill it off. And initially it just uses generalized defense mechanisms. And then it brings in other immune cells, which we make specifically to try and kill that uh, infection. And that's what our immunity is. Uh, we create antibodies and, um, you probably heard of uh, T and B cells. I don't know if people have, but the B cells produce the antibodies and the antibodies are produced in our lymph glands um, where these B cells set up. And that's why when you have a bacterial infection, say in your throat, you find your glands go up in your throat. That's because the lymph glands there have got the B cells going into them and they're producing antibodies against the bacterial infection that you've got in your throat. Can occur in other parts of the body, also occurs in the gut. Uh, so you, you're forming antibodies to uh, the candida and you're sampling the proteins in and around where the candida is in the hopes of finding something that will be able to kill off the candida. And it might pick up, say, milk protein or um, wheat, something like that. And you take that, the um, macrophages, which are one of the immune cells, takes that to the lymph glands and says to the lymph gland, have you seen this before? Is this something we should form an attack against? And... Sometimes the body gets it wrong and says, yeah, let's form an attack against that uh, uh, milk protein or that wheat. And in the process, then you've got an antibody that your body is producing against a benign thing, the wheat or the milk. Uh, those two things aren't dangerous. But your body now thinks, because it's fighting the candida, that it uh, making antibodies to the milk or the wheat is beneficial to it, which it's not. Uh, so that's what a, the definition of an allergy is. Now, molecular mimicry is when you uh, have the antibody that you're producing against the uh, uh, candida or um, can be either be directly against the candida or against the uh, food components such as milk. Uh, and we talked about the variable variable component on the antibody. Um, it can sometimes mistake the milk protein. Well, it doesn't mistake the milk protein. It has an antibody formed against the milk protein, but the antibody will also cross-react with the thyroid tissue or in the case of diabetes with the, um, the diabetes cells. And by cross-reacting, 
which is what molecular mimicry means. It's a, looking like a, a molecule that's similar and a mimicry meaning it it is mimicking it or um, uh, um, forming a, a, a picture of something that is uh, not exactly the same, but very similar. So we then have an antibody to that um, thyroid. And as long as the infection is, is going on there, your body thinks it's doing a good thing by producing the antibodies to the wheat or the milk, and you're continuing to damage your own thyroid or your own diabetes at that point. So that's, that's what molecular mimicry is, is that your body accidentally is um, damaging your tissue, thinking that it's damaging the candida in that case. Very good. And then, so when we look at uh, uh, long-term um, symptoms of diabetes, so someone who's had diabetes for 20, 30 years, maybe even had a pancreatic transplant, why is that so tricky to deal with? Um, well, usually the, the longer that you have uh, these infections living in you, uh, such as candida, the more antibodies you're going to form uh, that are not beneficial to the fight against the candida. And you, you'll end up having more allergies over time. You'll have uh, more of these molecular mimicry things going on that can affect the inside of your blood vessels and lead to damage there. Uh, it can lead to heart attacks. It can lead to other um, uh, diseases because of the what we call autoimmunity. So our body is fighting against itself. And the reason that it's fighting against itself is because it's really trying to fight the infection. It doesn't really want to fight itself, but it's by molecular mimicry it fights itself. Yes, it was a loaded question, as you can tell. Forgive me. Um, no, not at all. So when I look at... Um, so when I look at epigenetics, and I don't expect you to be an expert on that topic, it, it's quite clear that there's a correlation between our legacy human and now, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. There is. Yes. So our um, diets have changed. Our, our diets have really changed over. We can pick a, a time period, but it looks like we're eating differently now, aren't we? We are. Um, we are eating less nutritious food. And we got away from the um, foods that we should be eating. Uh, if you go back to the caveman times, uh, we ate essentially uh, meat and green vegetables of, and, and some root vegetables, which is basically what I'm recommending people do with their, uh, with their main meal of the day, as we discussed earlier. Uh, have half green vegetables, quarter protein, and up to a quarter carbohydrates, less of that, less than that is, is fine. Cause back in the, the day, they would have some, um, foods that they would dig out of the ground that might have had carbohydrates, but it wasn't a huge part of their diet. But now people are eating tons of pasta and rice and all these things that the food industry tells us is great for us, but really isn't great. Um, it's unnecessary. Yeah. And it's quite obvious that the way we used to ferment and put up food because of the seasons was actually a a bridge to our our capacity to digest and or process food 
uh, it wasn't so much that we're saving food. It's that was the proper way to keep us aligned um, in our our symbiotics with our food. Is that correct? Yeah, that is that is true. Um, the uh, creation of uh, sauerkraut, ways of preserving uh, foods, uh, ended up being hugely beneficial. And our forefathers were smart, and they saw that people that ate these foods lived longer, so they would incorporate them, and they'd be, become car- part of our culture uh, uh, because they were, were beneficial, and our ancestors were smart. No doubt about it. Okay, Neil, that leads to the great question of why does kimchi smell so bad, though? How come we don't like... So if I smell it, I'm supposed to like it, right? And it smells good, I'm going to eat it. So why... Why does everyone get repulsed by kimchi? Well, you've got the same bacteria living in your bowel. Yep. I knew you were going to nail me on that. It's, um, it's, uh, it smells familiar is what you're saying, correct? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. I, I knew it. Um, yeah, this is great. Um, uh, we can go on all day. I want to make sure I'm of service to you. It's on project review Q. I've, I felt you so strongly the first time I've talked to you over the over the last couple of years, year and a half, whatever it was. Um, it feels to me that you want to teach this and or it's not that you want to be in the classroom every day, but you really want to transfer this information so everybody gets it. And I want to give you a platform to do that. Is is Am I right about that? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. My my dream when I, I I realized how this all worked was to spread it out, and I tried to I did present it at different conferences, and I've tried to train doctors all along the way, but because it's a little bit tricky, um, and it it's a it it puts you in opposition with your colleagues. Most doctors don't want to do it. Uh, mm-hmm. So we're going to have to move to people that are less brainwashed and uh, and start training those that are interested. Um, which yeah. Are... Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, so I can't wait for you to heal the healers, so to speak. Um, I have a great passion to destroy the myth of brown diabetes. And it's very simple. And I, I am in agreement that if you can get it uh, earlier, um, it's a hell of a lot easier. Is is that your opinion as well? Ah, absolutely. Well, in the early yeah. phases, you can actually um, like by. This is the thing to realize with diabetes that we're talking about type one diabetes because type one and type two diabetes have different origins. They're not the same disease entity. Uh, type one diabetes was related to um, milk protein that is found in uh, certain uh, cow's milk. And there's a really interesting story, and we don't have time today to go into it. But uh, if you, you want to find out about the A1, the A2 milk debate, you'll you'll head straight into it, with A2 being the beneficial milk uh, protein and the A1 being the not. And it just so happens that the A1 protein, when you form an antibody to it, um, the if you've got the wrong genetics, the antibody that you have formed against the A1 protein cross-reacts via molecular mimicry to your pancreatic cells. And then you're, as long as you drink the milk and as long as you have the parasite and you continue to form the antibodies to it, you're going to wipe out your pancreas. So if you stop, either stop drinking the A1 milk or 
you uh, get rid of the parasite that's there, both of those will stop the diabetes and cure it. Yes, yes, well said. Um, The 400 species of bacteria, uh, people get alarmed by that, but it's it's a realization that a lot of that bacteria is very, very, very positive, isn't it? Oh, hugely. Most of it, well, um, probably uh, most of it is. The nice thing about it is the, the better you've got the bacteria living in there, the greater variety, the better resistance you have against uh, other bugs that would like to come in. Because it means there's, a, there's always a war going on in there. Always, always. And the beneficial bacteria um, are holding down the, the things that we don't want uh, to because if you if you puncture a hole in your large bowel or in your bowel large bowel where you've got all the bacteria uh, that's what appendix and appendicitis is is that you you've ruptured it and you've now got a hole and those bacteria leak out and they cause what's called peritonitis you got a big infection in your gut and that'll kill you so those bacteria that you've got living in your bowel a lot of them will kill you but if you've got beneficial bacteria keeping them in check, then that is good for you. So you, you need to have beneficial bacteria in there. Um, if you know somebody with, who has diverticulitis, it's the same idea as kind of like a little appendicitis. Um, and that you get a rupture of uh, these little pockets. And uh, again, that can kill you. Right. So uh, in your experience with cancer, uh, I assume that the primary solution is no carbs from what you've experienced as well. Is that correct? I was very careful to stay away from the cancer area. And it's not that I didn't make observations, but um, I was controversial enough. And I had a major charge taken for, against me many years ago um, for by the Medical Council of New Zealand, which I won. It took me three years to win it. Um, but I don't want to go in through that experience again. And I only talk about things that I completely understand because by getting out of an area that you're a real expert in, you are screwed. And I don't want to delve into areas that I don't completely. Yeah, I know. I spoke, I spoke for you. So that's that. It's definitely true that diet has a role in cancers and getting rid of parasites. All right, we're going to let you off the hook. We're going to let you off the hook. That's fine, but cool. Um, Well, Asha, quick question for you. Do you have any? We're going to to have to keep rolling here. BBS is uh, sending us a message there. Do you have a question, Asha? Oh, thank you, Dr. Neil Benson. This is fascinating. I just wanted to thank you for everything you're sharing so bravely and all the great work you're doing. There are so many people. Don has just given me a list of all the people asking questions, so I won't ask any questions. I'll give it back to you, Q. Okay, uh, Neil, thank you for your presentation. Brilliant. And um, you'll be put in a category from your passion there is is to educate the educators and or uh, so stay tuned with us. We need a few more weeks of um, sandboxers, and we, we're going to have a real healthy uh, base of people to strategize with and work with, a lot of doctors as well. And so I'll take it up with you personally on another day other than the radio show here, but I thank you very much for your presentation. Um, otherwise, we'll close out for today. 
Um, and this is a, a example of how we're advancing someone's passion and wants to help the world. And I thank you all for showing up today. And uh, thank you, BBS Radio, for supporting us. Neil, you have a beautiful day. And thank you, Q. Uh, I appreciate okay. the opportunity to speak to you. Okay. Thank you. Good day. Have fun. Thank you, Don. Blessings. Thank you, Neil. Thank you, Don. Thank you, Q.